0: This episode is brought to you by Five Bullet Friday And little known fact, I've met probably 25% of them because they first subscribed to Five Bullet Friday. So you'll be in good company. It's a lot of fun. Five Bullet Friday is only available if you subscribe via email. I do not publish the content on the blog or anywhere else. Also, if I'm doing small in-person meetups, offering early access to startups, beta testing, special deals, or anything else that's very limited, I share it first with Five Bullet Friday subscribers. So check it out, tim.blog forward slash Friday. If you listen to this podcast, it's very likely that you'd dig it a lot. And you can, of course, easily subscribe anytime. So easy peasy. Again, that's tim.blog forward slash Friday. And thanks for checking it out. If the spirit moves you. Optimal, minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I ask you a personal question? Now what is have seemed time. What if I did the
1: island? a
0: cybernetic organism living tissue over metal endoskeleton the
1: Tim
0: Hello, boys and girls. This is Tim Ferriss. Welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where it is my job to deconstruct world-class performers to tease out the routines, habits, etc., that you can apply to your own life. You will get plenty of all of that in this special episode, which features an interview from my 2017 TV show, Fearless. The less is in parentheses because the objective is to teach you to fear less, not to be fearless fearless features in-depth long form conversations with top performers focusing on how they've overcome fears and made hard decisions embracing discomfort and thinking big along the way it was produced by wild west productions and i worked with them to make both the video and audio available to you for free my dear listeners so thank you wild west you can find the video of this episode which is gorgeous i think they did an incredible job on youtube.com slash tim ferris remember two r's two s's youtube.com slash Tim Ferriss. And eventually you'll be able to see all of the episodes for free at youtube.com slash Tim Ferriss. So you can swing over there and see what is currently up. Before we get started, just a little bit more on Wild West. Spearheaded by actor, producer, and past podcast guest, Vince Vaughn, Wild West has produced a string of hit movies, including The Internship, Couples Retreat, Four Christmases, and The Breakup. In 2020, Wild West produced the comedy, The Opening Act starring Jimmy O. Yang and Cedric the Entertainer. In addition to Fearless, their television credits include Undeniable with Joe Buck, ESPN's 30 for 30 episode about the 85 Bears, and the Netflix animated show F is for Family. Wild West has also produced the documentaries Give Us This Day, Game Changers, subtitle Dreams of BlizzCon, and Wild West Comedy Show. And now, without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation from Fearless. I'm Tim Ferriss, author, entrepreneur, angel investor, and now TV host. I've spent my entire adult life asking questions, then scouring the globe to find the answers. On this show, I'll share the secrets of pioneers who have faced their own fears. We'll dig into the hard times, big mistakes, tough decisions, and how they got through it all. The goal isn't to be fearless. The goal is to learn to fear less. Welcome to Fearless, I'm your host Tim Ferriss, and on this stage we'll be deconstructing world-class performers of all different types to uncover the specific tactics they've used to overcome doubt, tackle some of their hardest decisions, and ultimately succeed on their own terms. So imagine yourself a founding member of one of the most successful rock bands of all time. What happens when you break up? For many, that might be the end of the story, but for my guest tonight, was just getting started with no prior experience, he went on to score films for Francis Ford Coppola and Oliver Stone, composed for ballet and opera, and even take pilgrimages to Africa where he played drums with hungry lions. I am not kidding. He's a founding member of the police, a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and for the last three decades, he's been one of Rolling Stone's top 10 drummers of all time. Please welcome musician master and madman, Stuart Copeland. All right. It's so nice to see you again. It's so nice to see you again. And we're going to have a lot of time to explore all sorts of fun stuff. I thought we would start with a video. So let's take a video so you guys know exactly who we have in front of us.
1: One of only two drum solos I've ever done in my life. Really? Thing about, the weirdest thing about that performance there letterman huge you know thing and the i played with her band It took me decades of writing music and practicing and doing my roots to get up all the skill but at the end of the thing i threw my sticks over there <laughs> and that was the big hit of the appearance <laughs> <laughs> which is an illustration of a point that it's the dumb shit Never mind, never mind the decades of dedication to music and craft and everything else. It's the dumb shit.
0: Practice throwing your sticks, kids. So you said while we were watching that, that this was one of only two drum solos you've ever done?
1: Yes, I don't really believe in drum solos, even though I loved them when I was 14. Uh, They're real hard work, it's usually just a chance for the band to sell merchandise. (laughs) Um, So this is one of them. It was Letterman, they're doing drum solo. The other was in the wilds of Africa, you see. Oh yes, how did that come together? How did that Uh, even come into reality? Somebody had the bright idea of me going to Africa in search of rhythm and American music because of course, one of our most profound uh, cultural characteristics in our country is American music. The origins of which are of course Africa.
0: You found a very receptive audience for your second solo. well
1: we were out there with a the film crew and we had no idea what we were doing some of the best things happen when you don't know what you're doing and then a buddy of ours a khashoggi family uh, a billionaire uh or arabic family owned a ranch uh near mount kenya and um so we went out there and they had giraffes and all this stuff like that so we shot everything and one of the things they had was a pride of lions he said like, hey Let's put the drum set with the lions, and there, Stuart will be playing drums and the lions will be... So they built this chicken wire cage. (laughs) It's not lion wire. So we had to festoon the the cage with meat to make them interested in the cage, because otherwise they're just taking a nap, and, you know, who cares? That's not a shot. (laughs) So we had to put meat around there, and eventually, I hear a thump like that, and it's one guy, big guy right there holy crap and then the other one's reaching under the cage and like the drums going there and I can see this arm I think holy shit that was the badassest drum solo I ever did in my life It's like uh, it's like audio bear spray there you go yeah yeah well you know their ears are not equipped My snare drum is loud it will bring a bird down out of the sky. And so those lions, you know, they got big teeth, they got a lot of hair, they, there are some claws that they can do some damage, but I got a snare drum made out of chrome. <laughs> so as it so happens, uh, I've
0: only done two drum solos in my life, and so let's, let's watch one of them.
1: Great. Ah, you're getting power mad. Ah, you could feel the power rising up in your loins. You're a primate, an alpha male, the great silverback making a great noise because you've got your crash and your kick landing hard.
0: (laughs) So that video is actually from the first day, the first time we ever met. And one of the things that, so impressed me about Stuart was A, you saw the machine at action, right? I mean, just incredible, but you're an extremely good teacher. Oh, and really? So well, you, I the result, so. are you going to show the result? Well, I'm not going to show the result, but I'll tell them. So I he think it was.
1: totally rocked.
0: So four, or five, four or five days later, I had to get up in front of a sold out audience for Foreigner and drum hot blooded in front of a completely sold out crowd. Uh, and that was just such a tremendous experience for me and I wanted to actually read a quote of yours that I think ties into how music for me in that moment went from being something very intimidating and sterile to very fun. So this is from Stuart's book, Strange Things Happen. That's the great thing about music. If you played it, it's correct. The worst musical train wreck hurts absolutely no one. It's all part of the show. In fact it's how we get to the great stuff there's no penalty for skating on the edge or throwing ourselves off the cliff so we do and uh this seems like it's it's true of music it's true for a lot of life can you provide any more context it's not true of uh paragliding
1: Paragliding. (laughs) it's not true of (laughs) skiing
0: right definitely don't want to literally hurl yourself on any cliffs uh but when you are trying to, say, introduce someone to music, how do
1: you think about doing it, playing music, that is? Introduce someone to playing music. It, yeah. it is that thing of throwing yourself off a cliff and not judging yourself. That's the most important thing, is to hit a drum. Hey, it makes a sound. Cool. Or sit on the piano, just hit some notes and just listen to the notes. That doesn't have to be Mozart. Uh, music was designed as a campfire experience, as a, you know, I've thought long and hard over the decades about what is music for. It's obviously for something. We are evolved through all culture, all history. Music has been there. It must have a purpose, a behavioral purpose. And a couple theories I have. One is uh, social cohesion. And I feel that in my travels across the fourth world. You feel that music bonds a community. So that's very important. But the other really important thing is sex. (laughs) (laughs) And you may laugh salaciously But it's true that, particularly for teenagers and young adults, music is the key to sex. It is the key to body language that would be unacceptable without music playing. The things people do on the dance floor, can you imagine without music? Oh, my God! (laughs) And so music, uh, it unlocks the door so that we can... so that we can show our genetic wares to each other and what pelvic thrusting has to do with genetic superiority i don't know but music does seem to have a very important function and so you ask how do you bring somebody who's not a musician or how do you explain music well it's just pick up an instrument and make a sound and listen to the beauty of it and that's enough but there's a the commun- communication part as well and i believe um, that although I personally, personally am a great beneficiary of specialization in our evolved society, I get to play the music and you get to listen. But I think that's not how it was evolved for our hunter-gatherer societies way back in, you know, before civilization. I think it was something that we all did together. And indeed, when you travel to the small indigenous communities, they all make it. There isn't specialization. He's not the musician, they're not. When it comes to religion and magic, yes, he's the shaman and you believe. But music is something they all do together. You don't have to be um, a super musician to really enjoy playing music. Where did you
0: grow up? Could you describe for us your early childhood?
1: My daddy was both jazz musician and CIA man. This is serious. Yeah. Uh, and so I was born in Virginia, uh, Alexandria, Virginia, which is a suburb of the CIA. Uh, but my dad—that's your dad—and uh, but my daddy was away on business. He was in Cairo, Egypt, installing a dictator. And so my—that meant that I was shipped over there when I was two months old to Cairo, and from there to Beirut, and I didn't get back to America until I was eighteen so that whole time i'm in the weird zone of the world an american i went to an american school i'm because everything great was american so i've always been hyper aware of being american most of you here as americans you don't, you're not identified as an american every day but i was i was the american kid and so that instills a strange kind of patriotism in a weird sort of way i'm sure
0: did you at what point did you know your dad was in the cia it was from the very beginning or
1: no no uh, in fact, my brother Miles came home from school one day and says, Dad, are you a spy? <laughs> to which my father responded, who wants to know? <laughs> what did you guys think he did up to well, that point? my mother used to, said years later, my mother said, you could always tell the spies by the trivial nature of their conversation. They wouldn't, you know, a spy is the one guy in the room who's not talking politics. And, uh, and one of my father's best friends was Kim Philby, a British double agent. And one of my friends was Harry. His son, Harry Philby, We're kind of parallel families. And one day, their daddy disappeared. And double
0: agent meaning KGB as yes. well as... Yeah,
1: one yeah. day, their daddy disappeared. True Blue English MI5 uh, Blue Blood disappeared. Two weeks later, he showed up in Moscow. He had been a double agent all along. He was one of my father's best friends and they knew that there was a leak. The British had a leak, and there, it's gotta be Philby. It's gotta be Kim Philby. And then he just, it was getting hot for him. He disappeared, so that's what Harry Philby had to deal with, with Spy Daddy. At least my Spy Daddy wasn't a double agent, you know? <laughs>
0: what, what drew you to music initially? Was it just the family influence or something else?
1: Yeah, it was something I could do. Um, and it was, you know, listening to it, you know, everybody is beguiled by music. We're all the same. And the re, you know, my father, he was a jazz trumpet player. I've still got his trumpet. Uh, and he put all these musical instruments in the house for the sibling, you know, but one by one, the sibling to pick them up, you know, uh, you know, but I came along there. They all were. And they just came to me and I'd pick them up and I'd break them soon you know (laughs) Uh, but still and so my father spotted the unmistakable trait of a musician which is the kid will not stop you know if you have your daughter and you're sending her to violin lessons or piano lessons then if you ever have to remind that girl uh, isn't it time for your practice and forget it forget it if I go find something else for this this kid to do Uh, if in fact Do you think you could stop playing for a minute okay now you got a musician in the family you know that's how you can tell and i just don't know what it's like not to have a desire to pick up that thing and hit it or make it make a sound somehow or do you remember your first gig i do at the american embassy beach club and we played uh, the kinks and uh, animals house of the rising sun little james brown of course um and that really, a, a, a very important moment, because I was the youngest of four, and my older brother Ian was the cool kid, and he was the cool kid in school. He, you know, had a motorcycle, and um, the band needed a drummer. The, the drummer kid went back to, to the States, but his drums were still there, and so Ian, obviously, we need Ian in the band, because he's the coolest kid in school. See, Ian's on, Ian's the drummer, but he couldn't actually do it. Anyhow, and he got me in the band. So there I am, I've joined the Black Knights. I'm hearing, I'm at the beach club and I can hear two 15 year old girls talking. Now for 12 year old, 15 year old girls are just the dream of my, you know, (laughs) of, you know, the the, the unclimbable mountain, you know. And uh, just so far beyond, oh, no, no, don't even, don't even, that'll never, you know. And I could hear these two 15-year-old girls talking about, wow, the Black Knights got a cool, uh, a new drummer. Groot, or Hep or whatever words they used in those days, you know, who is he? It's Ian Copeland's kid brother. Ian has a brother? <laughs> and so they're talking about this mythical being who is now the drummer in the Black Knights? Who's Ian's kid brother? And they're talking. Wow, is he cute? And they're they're talking about this person, in, and they're constructing in their mind, they're creating a person. And I'm little there. I'm like three years away from puberty, and I'm like I was just a little kid. And they're, they're talking about me. <laughs> Very important moment in a musical career.
0: What influence or lasting impact did that upbringing have on? your life for your later trajectory and what have you brought with you Uh, if anything from that
1: culturally yeah um the music has a real important thing which is that by some accident cultural accident it has the same drop kick as reggae the the mechanics of the uh, the arabic beat the baladi rhythms that is actually mechanically foundationally the same building blocks of the reggae beat which is the emphasis on three of the bar and the absence of one. Three, four, three, four, two, three, four, nothing two three you know and growing up with that kind of almost you know part of my genes you know genetic structure musically surrounded by that rhythm and then the clash had the brilliant idea of attempting to actually play reggae, and they did a track called Police and Thieves. And ironically, the police came along and thieved that idea. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we had a secret weapon, which was the baladi rhythms of the, of the Lebanese mountains. So, when did Curved Air enter the picture? Well, Curved Air was the band that led me uh, away from finishing my college education. I got myself in as a tour manager. And so I was the tour manager of of Curved Air. Cut to a few years later, and I'm married to the singer, and I'm in the band.
0: (laughs) I think that's a Game of Thrones move.
1: (laughs) Well, it was was a wonderful circumstance. You know, know, we have uh, three fine sons together, and uh, it's a wonderful thing. I want to
0: pull up a few letters that you sent to music magazines, and uh, using different handwriting styles, spellings, and stationery. Uh, Uh, so we're gonna pull up, we're gonna pull up, Uh, uh, these are letters that he sent to music magazines while being the drummer of Curved Air, keep in mind. So the first one starts, Dear Sirs. Dear Sirs, I recently had the exquisite joy of experiencing a Curved Air concert and was most impressed by the exceptional talent of their new drummer. (laughs) 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 That's kinda
1: highbrow, kinda highbrow. highbrow. So the next one. Obviously a
0: music aficionado. Not to be thought the same person. Dear Sounds, Curved Air are brilliant with a Y. (laughs) What's the drummer's name? (laughs) Next, to whom it may concern, wow. Me and some mates went to see Curved Air at the incredible, especially the new drummer.
1: (laughs) See these boots? You're pulling them up by your own goddamn bootstraps, you know? (laughs) And I'd, I'd mail these letters in. You know, we'd play Scunthorpe. and, and uh, Scunthorpe? You don't want to know. Okay, all right. And, Sounds like uh, a Lord of the Rings As we're character. leaving Scunthorpe, I'd hit the mailbox. Hey, hey guys, I, I just got to take a piss for a second. I'd go and hit the mailbox. And uh, different handwriting, different stationery, different literal, literal you know, different styles. Uh, and that was the first time I got my name in print. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, you know. So- yeah why wait for attention when you can grab it you know, so, so, i learned that oh by the way i learned that from my father how did you first meet sting it was a stormy night <laughs> 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 we had a night off in newcastle and the local journalist phil sutcliffe took me to see the local hero band playing at the local college the first thing you noticed was a golden ray of sunshine alighting upon the brow of the golden one. <laughs> <laughs> His name was Fred. Just kidding, that was Sting. <laughs> and no, he could play bass and sing, and that was what was. impressed me about it. And I, was, I already had the idea of police i had the name i had the logo i had a manifesto even and uh you know this idea i just didn't have any guys in the band except me um so i saw this guy and i wanted it to be a three-piece so a few months later i was actually said well let me actually get this thing i want to get that bass player up in uh, in newcastle so i called up the journalist and asked him Phil Sutcliffe to give me the the telephone number you know that bass player you introduced me to kind of sting Uh, and he said oh no I'm not giving you this number I know what you're doing down there in London you're you're into this punk thing aren't you and you want to ruin our Newcastle band and I'm not giving you the number you know he hangs up I hang up and I'm half an hour wait wait a minute it's like you know I call him back and hello it's his girlfriend uh Phil's not here and um, well, I just want to get a number of that bass. Okay, let me look at his phone book. I'll, I'll get it for you. <laughs> <laughs> so she goes. <laughs> so she goes off and gets the number, brings it back, gives me the number, and I thought, oh shit! Now I need a guitarist. Sting and I, we actually earned our living doing sessions as a rhythm section, and uh, we show up at the studio to do a session, um, and a guitarist walks in who is like way above our thing. This is a fancy session, triple scale guitarist, absolutely the top session guy in London, name of Andy Summers. And a few weeks later, I ran into Andy in London. We were both getting off uh, um, the underground together and hey, it's you, hey, it's you, hey. And he says, Stuart, let's have a coffee. And he pulls me aside, Stuart, you and that bass player, you've got something, but you need me in the band and I accept. (laughs) Now, I, I, I tell this story with love and admiration in my heart for Andy Summers. He is a guy who is that. And I, you know, he he gets uncomfortable when I tell that story, but it so encapsulates the power of Andy Summers. Up until that point, I supplied the songs. They're crap songs, three-minute fake punk songs. Da-da-da-da, I hate people, Da-da-da-da. they hate me, da da, you know, you know, punk stuff, you know. And the rules of punk were actually very strict. Thou shalt not write a song over three minutes. Thou shalt not write a song about love, thou shalt only write about being pissed off. Yeah. You know. And uh, the dress code was very strict. No bell-bottoms, short hair. Uh, The hairdo was critical. The rules of punk were extremely strict. The rules, the rebels had a lot of rules. Exactly. (laughs) Funny thing, that, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) But now, Sting had an actual musician to work with. And suddenly, you know, he comes up with a song. I think it was Born in the 50s, which actually had some chord inversions and stuff. As soon as I heard, wow, that's great. Let's do that. And one by one, these songs started coming out which were pretty, wouldn't have been possible until Sting and Andy, you know, Andy could play the stuff that he could write. And he, Sting himself, had no idea that he could write a hip-hop song. He had never attempted to. He'd never really seen himself in that role. But the punk world of three-minute songs, the discipline, all that discipline, of all those rules, something clicked. And he suddenly, out of nowhere, started to write these great songs. At that point in
0: time, in your heads, or maybe just in your head, what did success for that band look like? What was three years
1: later incremental? Um, some of the milestones were not the big ones, but they felt like the big ones. You know, one milestone was the Marquee Club in London, where everybody played there. The Who played there. there. It just It was the club. It was like the whiskey uh, in London. It was just the history of that place. And, um, and there was a hierarchy. Uh, at the bottom of the hierarchy is you're supporting on a weekend because they don't have you know anybody can you know the weekend they're going to do business anyway and then the next is supporting on the weekday because that's the toughest thing you got to have a little bit of a draw then when you headline on a thursday you are king of the world we're headlining the marquee on thursday and so uh that you know headlining the marquee on a thursday was a big deal and we felt like we yeah, we're getting somewhere. Yeah, baby. <laughs> and, but we still weren't getting anywhere. We were still starving, and we were still written off by the press. And somebody had the bright—my brother Miles this time—had the bright idea of, let's go to America. So we did. And punk had failed here because the Sex Pistols came over and sucked. They bombed. And the word punk just did not resonate in America in the same way that it did in England. It had wrong associations. It just didn't catch for it. So they erased, the American record company erased all the punk-arama the, you know, the, on the album which had all these pictures of us in leather jackets and looking hostile and everything. Got rid of all that. And airbrushed, the American edition of our first album is airbrushed so we look 12. <laughs> uh, and we came to America and club by club, City by city, we worked our way, every city was uh, fighting the battle all over again. But we did, and finally, um, I guess, so along the way, there were these milestones. While we were on tour in America, we heard that uh, we had a hit in England, you know, uh, that got on the BBC. And so, you know, I guess a big one was Shea Stadium, because that's, for English band, even though I'm American, that was an English band, playing Shea Stadium is the Beatles. That means you're a Beatle. That means you've conquered America. That's official now, you've conquered America. When you play Shea Stadium, and not only for yourselves, but for the British press corps, the British England is conquering America when an English band plays Shea Stadium. And so it's like a national thing and uh, the whole whole England gets excited about it. So I guess that would have been a pretty cool milestone too.
0: Were you nervous
1: before that gig?
0: I, I guess you would call it nerves. Is there anything you did? Did you have a pregame ritual or anything like that?
1: Before oh, um, artists of all kinds have many pregame rituals, and they evolve and they emerge. One day you have a donut and you have a really great kid. That's it. I gotta have a donut, <laughs> you know. And they accrete, they build up after yeah. a while. And then then one day you go and there's no donut, but you go and you play a great show anyway. Oh, maybe it's not the donut, <laughs> you know. And so you 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 pick up and you lose and singers particularly because you know drummer you break something you play through it singer your voice goes and it goes quite easily it's quite a delicate instrument and uh when it goes you are so screwed um and so Singers particularly have rituals of the steam, the humidity in the room, the there's the the humidifier you breathe into and the throat coat and the la 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 la. Mew 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 kya weird shit. All I gotta go is a ratda ta-da and and so the singers have a lot of ritual. So did you have what was your magic donut? Did you have my magic donut? Well, for years, I, I didn't have any magic donut. Uh, and then I realized that, wow, you can actually go on, feeling the way you do on the third song when you're warmed up and you kill, you know, the first few songs just aren't as good. Unless you warm up. <clears throat> My God, what a difference. And I saw, um, I was actually at, at a, with Stanley Clark with some jazz musicians, and the other jazz musicians, one of the drummers, uh, famous guy, was doing his rudiments. And I'm thinking, that's so inco- I wouldn't be caught dead, you know, publicly doing rudiments. <laughs> Shit, you know, but there was this jazz cat doing it. Then he went out and his first song was just like he'd been playing all night. And so I, without anybody noticing, started to do my rudiments. And then I noticed actually that stretching is even better than rudiments. All these muscles in here, all these tiny little muscles, the reason they play better, three songs in is because they're warmed up, blood circulating, and it's just physics biology and physics. And so I have rituals of stretching and, and so on. And uh, each finger gets love and attention because this finger here actually goes up through to there. And I can feel, ah, that one's, thank you. And uh, that, you know, so all the, uh, the, the, the stretching rituals, that's, that's my particular poison. Have there been particular dark
0: periods or difficult periods but if going up to the end of the police era?
1: Well, the police itself was hell. Just kidding. (laughs) No, I'm not kidding. No, it was both. It was like a Prada suit made out of barbed wire. It was incredible to have that effect on audiences, to get on stage and do what we did was darned exciting. But it became more and more difficult for us to resolve our creative differences. And they come from an honest place. Um, you know, in the early days, songs would come into the band with just a, some chords and we'd say, oh, cool, let's play that and let's mess around with it. And the writer of said song would be, oh, really? You like my song? You want to play it? Oh, wow, guys. Cool. Can I make tea? You know, <laughs> after you've had, written a few hits, uh, that humility uh, turns into something else. It turns into confidence. So the vision of where to take the band began to not be quite so symmetrical. And we, uh, you know, I saw the band like this, Stingo saw it like that, and Andy just saw, great, they're fighting again. <laughs> and he would, he would just sit, up there, he'd pull up a deck chair and throw bombs, you know. And if you are a true creative musician, you, you don't show up to the studio, at that time he, wa- he wasn't, none of us were showing up with a couple ideas and then the band would develop it, we would all show up, we all had home recording studios now, and we would show up with platinum demos, having thought through every aspect of the song, having thought through not just what I'm going to do, but what he's going to do, and what he's going to do. Here's the guitar part. And uh, no, 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 I've already written the guitar part, so play what I already wrote. Since I wrote the song, that's the guitar part that I wrote, so play that. And that, you know, we all felt that way. Um, about because music's really important to us. It's really important that this song, I have conceived this song and it should be expressed like that. What do you mean you've got another idea that isn't this? Go away with? It. So that caused conflict. It was never an ego clash when Sting would get the attention and his face on the covers. That's a good day because, it, you know, we, the band, he's our guy he's our face and you know I I love that but the music part was it just got to be such a struggle of you know I want to express something in this band but I can't because the doors locked because he wrote the song and he's decided how it's gonna be by the way the decisions that he had made also including the drum part were pretty good decisions actually the guy really does know music and he really does has impeccable producing chops that's where the conflict came from. Even as I understood that, you know, he comes, turns around and he says, you know, Stuart, you know, that, that snare drum, you just turn it, use the rim shot, FUCK OFF! You know? <laughs> and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This is an important point. It doesn't matter that actually. He was right about that snare drum thing. That, that's actually kind of a cool idea. That fucking asshole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But when you're young, you're right. All this, all this wisdom, by the way, came decades later. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he's deep and quiet. I am noisy and shallow. <laughs> we clash. Um, We, because of our history, get along really well, and with mutual admiration, you know, we really have a deep bond that is just not breakable. After rehearsal, we meet, you know, we have dinner together, we laugh, and we hang out, and and it's it's fine. But man, the music thing, and this is the reason I'm going on, because it's so weird, it makes no sense that we created such important music that so many people kind of liked, and yet it came from forcing together these elements that are disparate. So the question I'd love to ask is,
0: when you have a bad day or an, a down day, how does that manifest itself? Because you're a passionate guy. Is it, is it anger? Is it depression, anxiety? What is the cocktail? Well, anger is dope. Anger is dope? It is. It feels good. Oh, dope. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Sorry. It
1: feels good. Yeah. Few things are more invigorating than a nice swelling of righteous anger. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes I wake up in the morning, I'm in the shower when the blood the brain chemistry is just bad. Yeah. And I'm looking for someone to pick a fight with, somebody on TV, a politician, my poor wife who's about to come into the room, you know And it's brain chemistry. And just, it, you know, and I'll get into some fantasy of who somebody said this, and then I said that, and then they said this, and then I said that, you know. And, you know, the great part of these anger fantasies is that you win every argument. <laughs> you just totally crush. And, but then I, I, I have breakfast, I get down to work, I turn on my computer, and I'm still kind of... But then I get into work, and I find that on the day, and this isn't every morning, by the way, just some mornings you wake up, you know. And um, I find that after a morning like that, that I have a very serene day. (laughs) Go figure. So you've sort of prodded the
0: monkey mind with a little barb, and it's it's gotten all of its aggression Well, the weird thing
1: is that anger, the physical sensation of anger is very pleasant. Yeah. Especially when there's nothing to be angry about. Especially when the anger it derives from an imaginary conversation. That never took place. Yeah. That is a, a rarefied, purified, distilled anger that just is a warm glow. <laughs> so, all right, so not everybody
0: else has that anger. And after breakfast, they're like, ah. So... <laughs> Did you have, did you learn to turn it down or turn it off or was it just, it ends out of the shower and you're like, it Mary Poppins away, off to the It goes
1: day. away, it goes wow. away. Thank God. I mean, you know, two things that cause bad decisions are anger and sex. Hmm. You know, how many people have made just stupid, 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 <laughs> stupid, you know, that seemed like a really great idea when I, was really mad, or you know, was at the disco or whatever. You know, when I've been listening to that music and thrusting my pudenda, one thing <laughs> leads to another. You know, that music, yeah, music causes bad decisions, <laughs> and anger's the same. You know, it seemed like a really good idea to tell him what I thought. Yeah, it wasn't a good idea. Yeah, and best have those, um, you know, those moments in the shower. What are some of the decisions that have
0: formed who you are today if you look back at at some of the most important decisions
1: well some of the things good that happened were because that was my mission but other incredibly good thing happened good things happened that were not on my radar I didn't expect uh, Francis Coppola to call up and offer me a 20-year career basically it ended up in film composing i you know that wasn't my plan at all but i found myself in that world and just like thrived in it and um i didn't make that decision francis did you know gave me my first shot and it turned into something so some things you strive for and you reach out for and you go for but some things just kind of come and you know i would say as a piece of advice just stick to the answer yes you know orchestra and Iceland, in, in Norway. You want to come over and play? We have an Iceland duet that, you know, yes, I go over there. I have the best time in Stavanger. I hadn't heard of it either. <laughs> but this orchestra was fantastic. I just, the, you know, I discovered anchovies, you know, I mean, uh, sardines you know, and, and cured in olive oil, and I have one can a day now. I me mean, too. so much gonna. good stuff derived from just saying yes. I didn't know these guys, I don't know what was gonna happen, I, but i would never been to Norway. Yes, the, the, you know, yes, good things can come from yes. So Francis Ford Coppola, let's talk about
0: this. This was, correct me if I'm wrong, 1983. I'll take your word or for so. it. so, Rumblefish. Where were you, what did you think you would be doing, say, a, a year hence? If, if Rumblefish had not intervened?
1: Well, uh, I would have gone mad. Um, I recorded Rumblefish right after, I think it was the last or the second to last police. That my, It came straight from Montserrat to the hell of the police experience. You know, to go into a studio with Francis, who's not a musician, he's the boss and I serving his artistic vision. But when he leaves the room, all the music is mine, all the music and no debating, just like follow the instincts and create something that's beautiful without any debate. Oh gosh, that was fun. So there, there are many people out there who score films and so on. Why didn't he go to one of the usual suspects? Why did he, why did he pick you? Good or question. Um, he wanted to do something out of the ordinary. And in fact, he assembled a bunch of musicians in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where they were rehearsing the movie. And there were various musicians there. And something that I had learned at most, a drummer, where the deal is you gotta get the other guy off the stool so you can take his job. Uh, and in punk rock, which, ah, ah, you know. And I pretty much just nuked all the competition. Uh, there were no survivors but me. <laughs> so, how did you nuke them? Uh, was this like a false flag, we're gonna have a... a ma- well, I got a into a studio, th- I got into a studio, and while the others would talk about what they're gonna do, I got into a studio and recorded some stuff. And, um, I guess that's what it was. You just beat them to the punch. I, I just beat them, you know, the, you know, like with band leadership or any kind of leadership, it's not about being given some chevrons, it's about having the best idea first. That's a leader. When I got an idea, let's do it like this. And you're the first one with the idea, which the best people follow because they're relieved that somebody had a fix for the situation. And so I just had the best idea first in the opinion of the boss man. When you think of the word or hear the word
0: successful, who's the first person or thing that comes to mind? It can be a tricky term. I mean, a lot of people chase this specter yes and they end up in a place that is worse than where they started in some cases or they've sacrificed everything along the way what is success to you and how has it changed over over time
1: i think the only measure is, is happiness you know um you can achieve what you thought was was you know. And in my case, happiness comes from my family, my kids. You know, I've got Grammys, I, I, they, you know, you get a Grammy. <gasps> you know, you look at it and, you know, for the first couple of days, it fills you. Ah, oh, man, man. And then it goes to your shelf and a week later, you walk by, and go <whistles> And then a, a month later, you walk by and, uh, oh yeah. And then a year later, you don't even see it. Just, it doesn't mean anything. And so all those things that you think are success, they lose their thing. The kids. The family, your relationships, your life are so, you know. So I'm going
0: to uh, go to some audience questions, and we have a number of them. Do you have any advice for someone who wants to pursue film scoring coming from a rock and roll musical background?
1: It's a very tough world to get into because there are so many who want to be there. And the dreams that take you to rock and roll are very different from the dreams of a film composer. And your developing you're working on the director's artistic vision which means that you are there to serve his emotional needs and it's a very different mindset and many rock and rollers get into the film composing and the director says i'm just not feeling i wanted happy sad and this is sad happy and uh and and i don't like it do something else you know the hardened wizened flinty-eyed film composer says Psh, throw that away i got more and you do by the way You do have more. You can throw out your children and come up with another idea. And in fact, after a few years of film composing, you get pretty confident about that. And you can shed, you don't like that, it's gone. You'll never hear it again. I'll come up with something else. And you can. And um, that's really surprising how much stuff is in your brain that you can pull out when you need to. Uh, Let me digress for a second here. I've done lots of episodic TV where the show comes in. Tuesday, I got to ship it Friday. Next Tuesday, another show. I got it. It may not be my finest hour, but I got to put something on tape, and it's going out the door. And you just get into this grind, and you would think you run out of ideas, that you're going to get stale. And, oh my God! I, you know, I'm, I'm used. To, the opposite happens. You got to deal with that. And I'm here to tell you, you can. But that's a, that's a tough threshold to cross.
0: Next one is. The music industry has changed so much since when you started. What advice, besides the never ending hustle, would you give a budding musician today?
1: I guess the only advice that I can give you would be creatively how to find your own sound and urge you, above all, artistically, to, to get a unique sound, look for different sources of inspiration, somehow set yourself apart from other artists. By just different sources, you know, different stuff in, different stuff out, is my philosophy. But how you crack the business, you probably know more about that than I do. Because you've been in this business for the last 10 minutes, not the decades before that. And uh, I think also, I don't have the, the music experience, but
0: it seems like the barrier to produce music is lower. You have the software. Yes, that's song, the good news. But the barrier to attention is higher because you're yes. gonna have more competition due to the aforementioned uh, low barrier to production. So a few things that have helped, at least in the startup world, quite a lot, where you have a very similar issue, where now you have rental, rentable infrastructure that before would have cost $500,000. Uh, I would recommend checking out 1,000 True Fans an essay by a guy named Kevin Kelly, which I think is very good. There's a revised version coming out very soon. And also the law of category. It's a chapter in a book called The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, but it talks about exactly what you just mentioned, which is being a clear and distinct category compared to whatever you are competing against and sort of creating a blue ocean in that respect. So those two have been very helpful, at least in the startup world, which I think at this point in time, a lot of musicians. Uh, breaking through that attention barrier would be well-served to start thinking of, the, at least the band, not necessarily the music, as their own startup, in a sense.
1: Next question. Let me just, just yeah. Cara, one more thing about that artistic identity. Don't be fearful if your music done, doesn't sound like everything else on the radio. And don't be complacent if it does. Uh, this sounds just like Beyonce. Uh, that's when you gotta be worried. <laughs>
0: yeah hard to out Beyonce Beyonce <laughs> uh, the next question is from Facebook this is from Ong jab which I like uh, what interests you musically now uh,
1: well input these days is my own radio station I listen to it's called it's a uh, it's on iTunes uh it's called shirley and Spinoza. i have nothing to do with it but i can't shout its name loudly enough it is the best radio station ever it is so eclectic one minute they'll be playing beach boys the next minute you know uh uh armenian chants the next what minute was the name of it again uh shirley s-h-i-r-l-e-y and Spinoza. it's just the name right there it's the mix and match and sometimes i'm listening to it as i'm rodeeing in the studio is that even music? It's like white noise. And then they've got a weird 50s cigarette commercial playing over it. And then, <laughs> and then it goes to country and Western, some, you know, Okie from Muskogee, And it's like everything. That is the best. That's the input right there. And another source is driving my 16 year old to school. I have been forced to admit that Kanye is a genius. <laughs> now, You know, my cultural environment has only exposed me to Kanye grabbing someone else's Grammy, you know, that's all I know about him until I start hearing his music and him and the Black Eyed Peas and, you know, Ocean and uh, uh, Kamar, Kendrick Lamar, Lamar Kendrick. uh, All of my friends who don't have a 16 year old daughter you know, I actually haven't listened to this stuff, go, oh, that's not music, Where's that? there's no backbeat. They don't even have guitars. <laughs> they sound like my dad, you know? And I listen to stuff and they have just thrown away all the building blocks that I grew up with. But they push the boundaries of the, it sounds like the soundtrack to a really strange movie. And, uh, you know, and these are hits. And they finally, since Chuck Berry, and bill haley invented the guitar bass and drums combo you know my father that was the enemy that's not music and there was that divide my dad listened to trumpets and saxophones i listened to long hair music with and that same music hasn't changed through all the 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 60s the 70s the 80s the 90s punk is still e a and d chords with a backbeat or do, 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 whatever it is, it's a backbeat, whether it's funk or rock or whatever, it's the same building blocks until Kendrick. And these guys just throw out all those ingredients and start again. And driving my daughter to school in the morning, hearing this stuff, I don't, that's the first time I'm hearing music, I wouldn't know how to make that. The... All right, let's, let's go with this one, and I'll explain what I mean. Do you have
0: a favorite failure? And what I mean by that is a failure that, in retrospect, set you up
1: for a later success. Great. Uh, I... I'm stumped to think of a particular one, but this has been a motif that I keep coming back to, that a disappointment, something goes bad, something's wrong, something's broken, creates an opportunity. And I screwed this up. And because I screwed this up, I'm in this position here, and since I'm in this business, this opportunity arises. And that is a recurring theme, and I wish I could think of a great example for you, but but it just is that sometimes a door that closes is a window that's opening. Yeah. A a glass that breaks is a something. Yeah. And let yeah. Hey, I me mean, interrupt you. That's pretty much the way that's I'm feeling about know. America right now.
0: If you had a gigantic billboard. You could put anything on it. And you had a few words, short message. You just wanted to get out to the world. It's again another one of those questions. Uh, what would you put on it?
1: Don't worry, <laughs> be happy. <laughs>
0: All
1: right. And that's a total cop out. Riding home this afternoon, I'm going to come up with it.
0: <laughs> well, let's let's put it a different way. So we have we have a lot of people in the audience here. We have a lot of people watching who are maybe inspired to take the next step in a new chapter they're probably nervous they might have some misgivings they might be leaving something behind who knows but for someone who is striking out attempting something new what would your parting thoughts advice recommendation be
1: i would say that obsess over every minute detail of what success looks like and imagine you know i believe that a daydream is a very useful exercise and when I was a kid, i daydream, and if it's a really good daydream, then you fill in the gaps. If you keep going back to what you really, really want, you go back to that daydream. And every time you go back to it, you fill in the things. And eventually that daydream starts to flesh out into an actual game plan. And so that, you know, it's good to daydream. And so thinking, 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 overthinking, don't be scared to overthink. But when it comes to throw the switch, just do it, baby, and don't be thinking anymore. And don't let any of the thinking slow you down. Just be in a position where you have thought of everything, but don't let any of that slow you down. Just throw the switch, leap off the cliff. Yeah, baby, let's go. And that's how you do it. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Stuart Koblen.
0: Between one and a half and two million people subscribe to my free newsletter, my super short newsletter called Five Bullet Friday. Easy to sign up, easy to cancel. It is basically a half page that I send out every Friday to share the coolest things I've found or discovered or have started exploring over that week. It's kind of like my diary of cool things. It often includes articles I'm reading, books I'm reading, albums, perhaps, gadgets, gizmos, all sorts of tech tricks and so on that get sent to me by my friends, including a lot of podcast guests. And these strange, esoteric things end up in my field, and then I test them, and then I share them with you. So, if that sounds fun, again, it's very short, a little tiny bite of goodness before you head off for the weekend, something to think about. If you'd like to try it out, just go to tim.blog slash Friday, type that into your browser, tim.blog slash Friday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.